Do you have an idea for a product or book? Or are you ready to go beyond in-service presentations? Well, how do you get started? And what if you don't have any business experience at all? Well, I have some great news for you. I'm Mailing Chan, and I'm getting the nitty-gritty stories from parents, teachers, therapists, advocates, and people with disabilities who have created successful businesses, and they're sharing their intimate stories with you. Listen to us on the Exceptional Leaders Podcast and fast-track creating and building and sharing your idea with the world so that you can help more people. Please listen carefully. What is communication? The act of taking a thought from my head and putting it into your essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. Usually what I have in my head to the outside world draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we'd be lost. I think it's the ability to share your innermost feelings and thoughts with others. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science, Episode 64. I'm Matt Hot, joined, as always, by Michelle Wintering. How's it going, Matt? And Michael McLeod. What's up, buddy? We are proud members of the Exceptional Podcast Network, bringing it to you on episode 64. We've been part of the XPN, but I may have forgotten to mention that for the last 15 episodes. It's all right. We're good. XPN, I like it though. You're humble. You can always go to our website, podcast.speechscience.org, or head over to our new website, exceptionaled.com slash podcasts slash speech dash science. I'll have a link up on our main site. And I don't know why I keep pointing below like anyone can see the video. I feel like I'm on YouTube. And down below in the show notes, uh, it's kind of fun, a little background knowledge on the podcast. Uh, You want to be part of a network. It's kind of fun being part of a network. Yeah, we definitely share, uh, we definitely share the network with some some great other podcasts. I'm a big fan of, uh, talking with tech with some of our friends over there. And um, I know uh, Exceptional Ed is doing a great webinar right now as well. Yes, ma- yes, sir. Head on over to their website, exceptionaled.com, for more information on there. And also check out our sponsor on our page, Pearson Clinical, taking care of us over here at the Speech Science Network, or Speech Science Podcast, formerly Speech Science Network. All right, so Mich- uh, Michelle Wintering, I can't talk. I need speech therapy. We How's your week been in okay. therapy? How- are you therapy-tizing anybody yet or no? No, you ask me. I'm still working on that license, Matt. <laughs> I ask every week, hoping the answer yeah. is yes. Yeah. I am now I mean, hoping does, the does youth my of own Kentucky. son count? Because he's talking, he's babbling a whole lot more now. It's pretty fun. Isn't he like eight days old? How is he talking already? <laughs> he is seven months old now, believe it or not. Wow. Look at that. Which means you. we've been doing this podcast with you, Matt, for Mike and I joined, what, going on a year ago because... I was uh, still months away from having him. When I was going to say, how pregnant were you when you joined? Uh, These are questions you shouldn't ask, but uh, we do. That's cause... okay. It was probably probably starting my last trimester. Wow. And Michael McLeod, how are you in your last trimester? Uh, my, <laughs> it's going, going well. Baby Speech Science 2? Baby Speech Science 2. Junior 2, the Arnold Schwarzenegger sequel. That's but... right. Junior 2. 
Michael, how is the research? How is uh, private practicing in, th- uh, in Philadelphia? How is all that going for you? Uh, things are well. Uh, it's been a it's been a, a bit of a chaotic week. Uh, yesterday, there were you know, with private practice, you always deal with those cancellations, and for some reason, there I had a lot of cancellations the day after the Super Bowl. Uh, so, <laughs> so that was uh, even though it was a terrible game, uh, still had a lot of cancellations the next day. So I had a try to I always try to use my time wisely. So that's one of the the pitfalls of private practice. Uh, but I was able to spend some time with uh, some people I work with and some other professionals and finally get to my emails. So that was good. Today was a much busier day. Um, just getting everything together. Research wise, I have a lot of calls coming up with some fellow researchers, researchers. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to picking their brains and learning more about really what I have to do to get uh, this research published. That's of course the ultimate goal. Um, and yeah, but my, my week was definitely brightened by uh, Miss Missy Proser who shouted me out about the uh the work the work that we're doing on the speech science podcast so that's been awesome uh so she definitely made my day and uh and yeah that's pretty much been the highlight that is awesome i uh didn't do any therapy since i've last talked to you guys because uh wednesday we had a cold day thursday we had a cold day friday we had three inches or four inches of snow on the ground and then Monday, I had to do testing, and today, meetings and more testing to catch up from uh, last week's blizzard in Ohio. So, I don't actually know what therapy is anymore this week. Dude, it snowed last week, and we had a snow day. And today was literally 64 degrees. And I was walking around outside with no coat, and it was literally beautiful. It was a beautiful spring day, and a few days ago, we had a snow day. Makes no sense. Yep. Makes no sense. Yeah, same thing happened here uh, last week. How many schools were closed? And then by Sunday and Monday, it was 60 something. It's crazy. I'm okay with that, though, actually. Like, I feel like I'm a big proponent of uh, all year round school. Go to school for two months, take a month off, go to school for two months, take a month off. Mainly as a, a staff member, that's what I would be for, just to have a month vacation every two months. Yeah, well, there's a lot more school districts that are doing that sort of model, or at least a modified model that way. I know there were two districts in El Paso that did, which was hard at the clinic I worked at for us to keep track of who was in school and who wasn't. But um, a lot of the families I worked with loved it. Yeah, I could care less about if it helps the students or not, but I like a month off every two months. I'm kidding, (laughs) but I feel like it would help. All right, on today's episode, before we get to that, head over to our website, podcast.speechscience.org, and you can email us, uh, speechscience2018 at gmail.com, or give us a phone call, 614-681-1798. Coming up on this episode a little bit later, we're going to tell you why you teach reading comprehension wrong and the best way to help late-talking toddlers Uh, In just a little bit, we'll also talk about how you're collecting data wrong. But first, I thought we would kick it off with something near and dear to my heart, video games. And uh, Microsoft Xbox One uh, has an adjustable uh, video game controller for people with physical deficits. I love this stuff. Yeah, so this this was by far one of the best commercials during the Super Bowl. Uh, We are recording this two days after the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, and yeah, this, this was the pretty much the one 
commercial that really stuck in my mind the next day, uh, besides the Avengers trailer and Captain Marvel. Uh, but this was uh, a really great commercial that really highlighted just um, anytime individuals with disabilities or special needs are highlighted uh, for the masses, I think is a major win for, for us, them, their families, everybody. And this was a awesome, awesome commercial done very, very well. I believe it was Microsoft. Uh, they, they debuted this special controller where individuals, individuals with special needs who can't use the regular controller need this one. And they were able to interact and play the game just as easily as their peers were. And it was a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. So I, I love that. that. We need to link to the commercial. And we're going to link it to up. it. And I'm going to just play a short snippet. Uh, we'll edit it down so that we don't get copyrighted. But I actually never saw the commercial. Perfect. One of the biggest fears early on is how will Owen be viewed by the other kids? <laughs> He's not different when he plays. No matter how your body is or how fast you are, you can play. It's a really good thing to have in this world. Well, I hate you, Michael McLeod. Why? You're crying now? I am. I, I never <laughs> seen that before. And now I am wiping away a tear. I love uh, it. I mean, oh this is fantastic. Gosh. Having those parents there and get to give that quick little backstory. And, and there you have it. You have an individual who, with special needs, 33 surgeries, and he states what he loves. Video games, friends, and family. Which is what and any, video games. And, and video games. <laughs> So, which is what any other kid his age would say they love. So that that was awesome. So well done, Microsoft. And I love uh, that Microsoft made it adaptable. You can connect switches uh -huh. and joysticks and mounts and whatever is needed by that kid. It's wireless and it's designed so that users can place it on their lap while gaming, but can be mounted with hardware and attached to a wheelchair or desk. It's for the Xbox One and Windows 10 PC. Uh, Going to sell for about $100. That's awesome. I love that. That is so... Michael, thank you for that. That was awesome. And I'm sure there's a way for that controller to become some sort of AAC device as well. Ooh, there has yeah, to be a way. Like, there has to be a way. There's got to be options, yeah. Because obviously one of the biggest things for AAC is motivation, correct? The, the, the buy-in of the child. So here you have the remote he uses to socialize with his peers. Let's find a creative way to tie in his AAC into that specific controller. Make it happen. I, like I love your it. thinking, Mike. There you go. I mean, we're all like you said, Michael. We're always trying to make our our students as typical as as we can. Nothing more typical than you know, Xbox One and Fortnite. There you go. Forget Fortnite, though. <laughs> <laughs> just, I knew you would Fortnite. say that. Uh, how do you use video games in your your therapy, or do you have a student that might benefit from it? Head over to our website, podcasts dot speechscience.org and email us speechscience2018 at gmail.com or give us a phone call 614-681-1798 or hashtag us uh, like Peggy Blake did hashtag speech science we will respond if you ask a question if it's a comment or a link to research we will read it that's what Peggy did I like it Thanks, uh, Peggy, Peggy link Peggy for uh, they're looking for voice donors for AAC devices so that's pretty cool all right, you are keeping data wrong, and I'm going to tell you why. According to boardteachers.com, measuring student growth through data doesn't tell the full story. And actually, I feel like speech therapists, we probably already understand this, that 
tracking data in our session and saying that they did the K sound four or five times in the medial position following uh, front vowels doesn't tell the story of how the student's doing with intelligibility. It's not telling the story uh, for our students with autism if we're saying, oh yeah, they used a social greeting three out of five opportunities by the end of the first quarter. And I think that and in some ways, Mike, maybe you can speak to this, why, why parents and students seek out private therapy where there's some more flexibility in what those goals have to be or what criteria has to be met. Um, I think it can be too easy sometimes to fall into the, we have to focus on this, this very, very strict goal and we forget to look at the bigger picture. Yeah, I recently did a school observation for one of my private clients. Uh, I went in, observed him in the classroom. Great observation, was able to collaborate with the teacher and learn more about the, the specific class and all sorts of that. Uh, and then I had someone from the school email me and ask for uh, my data and what I observed during the observation. And then I found out a couple of days later that my data was not qualitative enough. So really, you know, what I'm looking for is executive, you know, executive functioning, how they're acclimating to the curriculum. And I'm not really looking to get qualitative data because I'm really following what this article lays out is I'm really, I'm not there to put checks and numbers. I'm not creating a VB map here. I'm not an ABA therapist. I'm a speech pathologist <laughs> focusing on, on executive functioning. So I am not trying to tally check a, a paper put a bunch of things and then make a pie chart based on what this kid is doing. I'm there to collaborate with the school, find out what's happening, find out what's motivating him, find out what's not, find what's appropriate, what's inappropriate, and share that information with the family and the school. So I, I completely agree with this article. I think uh, there is, of course, always the devil, devil's advocate side of we need the data, we need the research to continue to grow our field. But when it comes to individual therapy, you have to do what's best. And sometimes concrete checkmark percentage data is not always best. I know. I think we need both. You have to have the quantitative and the qualitative. I mean, we learned that in grad school, right? But just like you said, too often we get, we get pigeonholed. And that's what this article touches on, that teachers are frustrated by it. It goes right back to the standardized testing frustrations because we're testing, pre-testing to test for the test. And... Fortunately, as therapists, we get to do a lot more individualized <clears throat> goals than I think teachers get to, mm -hmm. but we still can fall into that same sort of trap of, I have to meet this because I have to have so many kids. On, I can only have so many kids on my caseload, or they have to qualify for this, or if you're in a clinic, they have to qualify for insurance and they can't make too, too much progress or too little progress. I mean, it's, it's this golden middle ground you have to be in to to have the funding that unfortunately that's where it ties to a lot ohio has recently started and maybe you guys have already done this in your states but on the back of our goal we have to put how we're going to collect data and how often we're going to do it so for example it'll say like progress monitoring via running records every and i put every five weeks and basically that means that i'm going to collect data every five weeks because if not, if and if I see a student once a week, and again, I'm working in a high school. So if I'm working with uh, a first grader or a second grader, maybe I'm collecting data every two weeks and I'm seeing the kid 
uh, twice a week. But at the high school level, if I'm working on reading comprehension or apraxia or fluency, and I'm seeing the kid for once a week, you know, three weeks or four weeks in a row, I want to be able to teach that kid strategies. I want to talk about the cognitive part of disfluency. I want to talk about why, you know, you know, if they're a selective mute, talk a little bit about the anxiety part that impacts communication. So then that way I'm only collecting data once a month. And the kid feels like, oh, we can make a mistake those other four months because if not, okay, I'm going to teach you how to do a thesis statement. And now everything's wrong because this is the first time you've learned it. And now it's wrong because it's the second time you learned it. Exactly. Some of the best, I hate to use the phrase best speech therapist, but some of some of the most productive sessions I've been in is when the therapists truly know what's important and what's when to take a break in the action, when to take that data and the ones that are able to kind of balance it all together. Cause, cause sometimes you don't need to track everything down. Sometimes it's important to just keep the flow, focus on what's going on and use your clinical judgment. I've got an intern this year. And one of the hardest part, and she's actually from OU as well. So an, another Ohio University person. And she came from, and I came from the same clinic. And Michelle, you did too, where we were so used to keeping a clipboard in every session. You were tracking data, zeros and Xs or Xs and slashes or whatever. You know, and she was like getting ready. And I went, all right, put your clipboard away. And we're working with a student with apraxia. And she was like, what? And I said, oh, we're going to get like 100, att- we're going to get 100 trials here in five minutes. But we're not going to keep data on it because we just want her to, you know, succeed. And she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, we're just going to work on that placement and get two syllables. And she, it was so hard for her the first couple of times. Now she's like, oh, my gosh, I don't I only have to keep data every now and then. And I can actually teach. I can actually teach a strategy. It, it, it's kind of freeing once you get away from from data collecting every time. Yeah, and I think that's why they're so strict with us in grad school is they they have to teach us the rigor mm-hmm, and then we can mm-hmm. we can ease out of it to find our day-to-day routine. And again, I'm in the high school. So, you know, if you're in preschool world, maybe not keeping data every five weeks is a good thing. Maybe you do need to keep it every two weeks. It should be for that individual student. And remember the old soap notes, the original soap notes when you first learned them? I still write them that way. Two pages long. And then you could, they finally let you back out on those. Oh yeah. (laughs) uh, Actually summarize things versus write out every detail. And there was literally an S O A P section. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Those were the days. How often are you tracking data? How often do you write your soap notes? Head over to our website, podcast.speechscience.org. And you can email us, speechscience2018 at gmail.com. And give us a phone call, 614-681-1798. We haven't had a phone call in a while. I think the last phone call was from Australia. I think that was the last phone call we had. Cool. Australia, call back. (laughs) All right, coming around the break. You are teaching reading comprehension wrong, and we're going to tell you why. And also, how are you going to fix those late-talking toddlers? You're going to find out. You're listening to Speech Science. This podcast is brought to you by Pearson 
the company behind the self, GFTA, and the brand new PPVT5 and EVT3. These new easy to use vocabulary assessments are brief and reliable for two years, six months old, to those 90 and beyond. Learn more about these new tests at pearsonclinical.com slash exceptional. That's pearsonclinical.com slash X-C-E-P-T-I-O-N-A-L. Welcome back to Speech Science, episode 64. I'm Matt Hot, joined by my favorites, Michael McLeod. What's up? Hi. And Michelle Wintering. Hi, Matt. Hola. 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 So we're, um, so we're your favorites. You are my favorite. My favorite co-host. Favorite podcast co-host. <laughs> <laughs> Compared to who? Uh, currently, there's only three of you, and Lucas isn't here, so he loses by, by default. Too bad for him. Too bad for him. So I do have to give a shout-out to a different podcast, and I know it's always kind of not a thing to do but there's a podcast called panels on pages.com and it's a comic book podcast and they are doing one of the funniest wonderful things that i've ever been part of and they do these things called actual fantasy sports okay so what it is is that it was like instead of like fantasy football it would be like if you could pick three DC characters to be on a basketball team or three Marvel characters to be on a football team, who would you pick? And then the show judges it. Okay. Does that make sense? Do you follow that? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And I won last year in football and this year they're doing the winter Olympics and it's Warner Brothers versus Disney. And I just have to give out a shout out to my uh, Warner Brothers Olympic team that's competing tonight on the other podcast that we're not on right now. And it is race Bannon from Johnny quest, Dumbledore and Jon Snow competing in the winter Olympics <laughs> as a team. I just need to give that as a shout out. <laughs> Good work, Matt. Tonight is the biathlon where they're deciding which team would be the best in skiing and then shooting a metal target every 50 kilometers. You lost me at, I have to shout out a new podcast. <laughs> Oh, head over to our website, podcast.speechscience.org, and you can email us, speechscience2018 at gmail.com, or give us a phone call, 614-681-1798. All right. Are we over working with our students that are late-talking toddlers? A new article out of, what is this, Sage Journals, says that evidently, Parents are just as important as therapists, right, Michelle? Yeah, well, I, I thought this was really interesting because it um, actually summarizes, it was a lit review summarizing eight different studies specific to late talkers, which they define late talkers as, let me make sure I get it right, a toddler between 18 and 30 months who displays typical development across most domains, play, motor thinking, social skills, but or have difficulty with expressive language that's not caused by something else like ASD or an intellectual disability. So, um, you know, that language boom or explosion we talk about where mm-hmm. kids one to two years old suddenly start putting two word phrases together and they seem to learn a bunch of words every day. Um, they said about 10 to 15% of two-year-olds are identified as late talkers because they haven't quite hit that yet. 
I would guess that my youngest, Andrew, is a late talker. He babbled uh, relatively normal. Um, about midway through one and two, he was putting one word together. He just had his second birthday in October. And I was like, oh, we should probably start thinking about maybe talking to a early SLP. And I started to pay attention more. And now he's saying like, I pop pig and I drink apple and I'm more apple. So like instantly within the last two months, we've had a language explosion and he's at two... Two, three now, I guess. Two two years, three three months. So he's hit that boom. Yeah, he's hit that boom. Yeah. That's what I mean. So what I, what I liked about this article is it talks specifically about, you know, what is more beneficial, parent-implemented interventions or clinician-implemented interventions. And it looks like, based on the, the review of these eight different studies, that parent-implemented intervention emerged as potentially more effective. Of course, they say more study is needed for them to generalize but um i don't know it, it made me think I, I i work in pediatrics that's my love and what am i doing to empower parents to make sure that they're they're helping their kid because as much as we might have the the grad school degree and the clinical experience what are we doing so the parents can implement it at home yeah, this really reminded me of uh, the Hannon Center. Have you guys heard of that? Mm -hmm. The Hannon Center, It Takes Two to Talk. I it's, have heard uh, of it, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. I think they're based out of Canada, I believe. But that's really the main gist of the of the program is they've, they've really created an entire program or CEU program based on how to really coach the parents and how the parents become the therapists to really translate out of the direct therapy that you provide. And for this young age that this, uh, this article um, really highlights, these late talking toddlers, it really is crucial to ensure that we are giving parents the tools and the skills to ensure that there is functional carryover because 45 minutes a week, two 45 minute sessions a week, one hour a week, uh, things can really speed up if parents are in on the sessions or if it's in a school, we continue to to provide that speed no and i and i feel like i'm looking at the hannon center right now and they say al to let our child lead observe wait and listen but i feel like when we look when we talk to slps when we talk to our co-workers and, and i'm not judging but i i feel like there's two camps there is the i'm the speech and language pathologist i am the master of language and i'm the only one that knows that has the secret key to unlock the door to your child's language and then there are, and I, and I feel like I fall in this category, the, hey, I went to school for a couple years. I go to research. I read research. I go to trainings. I understand how the brain works. Let me try to help you help your child or help you help your students find the key. I'm only in there once a week. You're in there every day. And I feel like sometimes we've got too many of the first type that are like, oh, I can't share knowledge or you can't do programming on your AAC or you can't do therapy at home. And I, I don't know why. I, I feel like maybe there's too much of that. And I think it's a fear based. Maybe I'm not sure. I think it's being smart about it, you know, helping parents know, helping them to practice things correctly at home right. as well. And um, and we have to set them up for success doing that. I think the early intervention therapists have an advantage because they're going into 
an actual home and um, they can help kind of set up that home environment in a way to promote and even really encourage communication, but communication temptation, giving them real world every day. You're at your own lunch table situations to help that child communicate. Uh, Agreed. So I think if we're talking late talkers in the home is the most important thing. And if they're not in the home, like I was working in an outpatient clinic, what do I need to do? We need to talk about what the home looks like because it's not going to work in just 45 minutes twice a week or a half hour three times a week or an hour once a week or whatever it is. And unfortunately, those therapy times are often in a clinic like that are often bound by insurance. Exactly. They're not bound by what the kid actually needs. You might request one thing, but insurance only approves another thing. Exactly. Beautifully said, Michelle. Beautifully said. Insurance uh, these days, the way that they kind of mandate therapy and control the therapy, it's a very, very difficult thing from the speech pathologist standpoint. Um, whether there's a private pay clinic or an insurance-based clinic, it's a world of difference once insurance gets involved. I believe it. it, And I'm assuming it's probably the same way with Medicare, Medicaid. Well, and I remember having a conversation with a patient that, um, you know, I looked at the mom and after the evaluation and talking to them about, uh, talked to some of the teachers in the school setting as well of this, this student would benefit from probably twice a week shorter sessions she was an older kid who would do well with a quicker session a couple times a week Um, or she could probably also do just one time a week if if we're talking about working with the parent schedule and what's going to work with them because she had a family who was going to do the carryover I knew they would but insurance would approve twice a week half hour but they wouldn't approve once a week for an hour Well, there you have it. That's, that's exactly what it is. It's sometimes parents can get very hung up on frequency of service, how often it's happening, and they don't really inquire too much about what's actually happening during those minutes mm-hmm. uh, and what therapy set, what therapy's being done, what evidence base is being done. But that's a, that's a big thing for parents is, is how often and how long. But really, it's so much of the, of the child's progress takes place within the natural environment. Well, and, and that's one of the reasons I'm kind of glad. And I know we're getting a little away from the late talkers part. But you had you when you mentioned earlier, Michael, about insurance or Michelle, uh, you mentioned insurance directing therapy. That's one of the reasons why I'm happy to work uh, in a school setting. And, Michael, you mentioned something a while ago when we talked about apraxia. This was months ago. And you mentioned how good apraxia sessions should be exhausting for a child. Yep. And. You mentioned that, and I have a student that I changed our therapy time with just on that topic. We went from meeting for 30 to 40 minutes a month, or 30 to 40 minutes a week, to 5 to 10 minutes every day, 3 to 4 days a week. And the student is improving a little bit more, I think, than once a week, but the attitude and the negative behaviors are almost gone because it's only five or 10 minutes and then the student can get back out the class and we work real hard and we get a hundred trials done in five to 10 minutes versus in 30 to 40 minutes, we might get 50 or 60, but there's a lot of fighting and there's a lot of filling time and, and, and such. 
And when you first requested this change and brought it up to the parents, what was their initial reaction? Uh, so in the schools, I kind of just tell them I'm going to see your student for 30 to 40 minutes and try to uh, balance it out for their schedule. So okay. it was more at the IEP afterwards that I said, hey, this is why you stop receiving all these negative behavior notes. OK, well, so there you have so, it. OK, yeah. so. so again, in the school, it's a little bit differently because like at least here in Ohio, we say how often we have to see a student per month. Oh, OK, so. Okay, okay. You know, I might have to see a student 60 minutes a month or 90 minutes a month or 160 minutes a month. And theoretically, I could technically sit down with a kid for 90 minutes and then hit all their minutes in one session. But it really breaks down to like 20 or 30 minutes a week. Yeah. Here in PA, we typically go by per week. Uh, How how often per week. So I so a, a change like that would most likely have to be presented to the family first. And I, and I would I would assume that parents would say, oh, well, what what's what, what's with these short sessions? What's he going to gain from these short sessions? I want him to be with you for as long as possible. He right. can handle it. What's going to happen? But there you have it. You using your clinical judgment, your expertise and you recognizing because of the 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 great uh, information I gave you via podcast, <laughs> you were able to make a change, and there you have it, and and no more negative behaviors. Being a willow, that's right. Janice, right. Flexible is go. the best. Oh, head to our website podcast.speechscience.org and tell us how are you implementing parent-based therapy. You can email us speechscience2018 at gmail.com or give us a phone call 614-681-1798 or find us on Twitter speech science PC that's speech science podcast PC that is our Twitter handle. All right. You're collecting data wrong. I'm sorry, you're teaching reading comprehension wrong. And there's finally an article that agrees with me, Natalie Wexler, writing uh, for Forbes. She's their senior contributor for education, uh, has finally agreed with me that, hey, maybe it's not about the who, what, where, when, why, how, and maybe it's about background knowledge. I mean, I'm doing my Kermit the Frog drinking tea over here being all Yeah, <laughs> I like it. But I mean, this is we've talked about this before, that it's not reading comprehension is not a single skill. It mm-hmm. has other skills within it. And you can't just like you, you could have a fluent reader who has terrible reading comprehension. And oftentimes that gets missed of kids in, in a school setting because they can read aloud in class. They can... Um, they, they fly through their reading materials, but then the test comes or the evaluation comes and they don't know what they read. Yeah. One, uh, one line from this article that really stuck out to me was uh, the author says that education schools have historically been disconnected from scientific research. And huh. that really just stood out to me. And uh, when you when you really do do your research on education and you learn about the differences between schools in America and other parts of the world, it's really amazing that the differences and the, the graduation rates and and really what the kids are able to do once they graduate and really what the schools focus on. Um, and basically, the author states that schools have have historically had a major lack of interest in familiarity with phonics. So learning about phonics and the true nature of reading comprehension and what's important and what's not 
and how we're teaching reading and how we're teaching kids to read. Because I, I think it's a fair assumption to say that majority of American students really don't like reading that much. It's really a non-preferred task, especially in this technological age where, mm-hmm. you know, 120 characters or nothing, you know, quick little snippet, quick little headline. But reading a full, the idea of reading a full book to many students these days is anxiety producing. And it's, they'd rather have a full blown out hour long behavior than read for 10 minutes. So, so really what are the schools doing not only to assess reading, but also to increase their motivation toward reading? The article references a 2001 report from the National Reading Panel uh, that endorsed five, quote, pillars of reading instruction, including but not limited to phonics, phonemic awareness, fluency, vocabulary, and, quote, strategies designed to boost comprehension, which include monitoring comprehension, metacognition, organizers, answering questions, generating questions, identifying story structure, and then finally summarizing. But they counter with the ever-present baseball story. Are you guys familiar with the baseball story? Yes. Mm, remind me. I don't know if I am. <laughs> that basically uh, students who scored poorly on a reading test but knew a lot about baseball outperformed the, quote, good readers who knew little about baseball when the reading passage was about baseball. So think back when you were in grad school. If, if the professor gave us the neuro book on day one of neuroscience and gave us chapter 13 and said, read chapter 13 about trigeminal five and, tell, and summarize everything, day one of neuroscience, we would all not understand what's going on. But give us a little background knowledge about what actually uh, neuro, uh, motors or neuron motors <laughs> Like cranial nerves. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> uh, give us a little background knowledge on what cranial nerves do. We finally understand trigeminal five. There you go. So it's that same idea. Now, just a, a quick question related with reading comprehension. If I remember correctly, I don't know if either of you would deal with DSM codes. Do you, Mike? Uh, like the like the medical codes? Yeah. Like the- Yes, yes, I, I do that with like my, uh, like, uh, I, I deal with them here and there. Yeah, yeah, because I think there was a change between um, t- with the new ICD-10 codes with mm-hmm. uh, reading comprehension. There used to be one that identified a specific reading comprehension um, yes, I think identifier, you're right. And it switched to a more general, broader one, if I remember right. Um, I haven't used them in a little while, so... I think most of my, I'll be honest, like most of the codes I use, I think are just F80.2, mm-hmm. which is mixed expressive and receptive language. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I can't tell you how many times like I'll get, I use Newzella. I don't know if you're familiar with Newzella. Mm-mm. Newzella is a website that will take uh, real world readings from like the Washington Post or the New York Times or the Atlanta Journal and they'll break it down into five, four or five different reading levels uh, for students. And it ranges anywhere from, you know, the white rhino uh, being endangered news. I'm pulling it up right now uh, to currently the articles include. Oh, I got to sign in. You talk while I sign in. 
All right. <laughs> um, and we'll cut this from the show. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> uh, you should keep it. This is good. This is good stuff. Oh, I might have just typed in my password wrong. Whoopsie. Oh, there we go. Actually, we'll probably leave this in. Uh, okay, so the articles on Newzella right now are the Patriots defeat the Rams in the Super Bowl. Uh, leave your selfie stick at home when visiting this Australian National Park. Hate crimes on the rise. Beware of the bathroom python. Record high U.S. cheese stockpile. TV episode saves a life. Twelve Brazil's mining disasters and why NBA players love pedicures. Okay. NBA so, players love pedicures. I kind of want to click on that. Okay. But anyway, so oh, they do. <laughs> You're so surprised. Oh, it's they true. Do love ah, they're talking because okay, uh, they talk about because they're playing on their feet all day. So, anywho's, but no, like I can't tell you how many times, like if I were to pick the article about uh, Brazil's mining disasters, my students might be able to under like answer, look back on the text, and say, "Yep, this happens in Brazil and." three billion gallons is the number and it's toxic to animals but they don't understand what a hydropower plant is they don't understand um like why someone would be mad if a company came in and destroyed the whole forest to create a hydropower plant so like we spend so much time teaching that background information because you need it for comprehension, yeah. right? So, I mean, like, I spend maybe three minutes teaching WH questions and then 20 minutes backstory so that way they can understand the inferential questions. The deadening silence either means that y'all think I'm right or way wrong. I can't tell. No, I, I completely agree with you, and I, I just <laughs> think that the... It goes back to what Mike pulled out, the fact that we're right. not going back to what the evidence in that research shows so, of the five pillars of, of teaching reading. So I guess my question then is, should we even be doing reading comprehension as speech and language pathologists? Absolutely, yes. yes. Okay. Okay. Even if it's just teaching background knowledge? 100%. Really? Okay. And I, like, I'll be honest. I, I struggle. I'll be 100% honest. I struggle with this every day of am I doing therapy or am I just tutoring? So please help me out here because I, this is something I honest hand on a Bible, hundred percent truth. I, I, I sometimes give a different perspective of who I am on the show versus who I am in real life. But this is, this is a hundred percent real. Well, that's because you read, com that's because you read comic books, <laughs> but no, I mean, I really do struggle with this idea of, you know, in the schools, am I doing something that's different than the teacher by teaching them the background knowledge of the text? Reading comprehension is a crucial, crucial skill. And with the intensive graduate programs we have as speech pathologists, I, I will curse anyone to death who says that graduate school is easy for speech pathologists. No way, shape or form. We do. We have enough training to teach true reading comprehension, to not only teach the skill, but to turn it into a true skill, a true talent, and make it and turn reading into a preferred task, which I was speaking of. So we have the opportunity opportunity to work on this one on one, having a true, true uh, knowledge of their speech and language skills, of their abilities to use speech and language, expressive, receptive, internal language, everything, social language, 
and turn that into their ability to read and interpret the the text based on their own personal experiences and their own interpersonal relationships. So absolutely, with our true uh, personal knowledge of speech and language and how it, it is crucial to quality of life, teaching, reading comprehension, even written language comprehension is a very, very important thing for us to be able to do. And I think language takes many formats. So I'm, I'm with Mike on this, that it's, it's not just auditory. It's not just, you know, I, I dealt with sign language as well, but um, it's, it's reading and writing comprehension. And we can tag team with people. Like we need to parallel our, what we're working with students with what uh, the reading specialist at school is doing or the English teacher is doing. But how do we take our skills that we know as a speech pathologist about language development and use their skills and work together with them. And I don't want it to make it sound like I don't want to teach reading comprehension. That's not what I meant. I just, no, I mean, I sometimes I don't want to do certain things in speech pathology. <laughs> it's like, that's fair. No, I just mean like I, I, right now I'm, I'm going through an existential therapy crisis of, I have kids that can answer WH questions, but they don't have the background knowledge for the readings. And, and so we, you know, I have a hard time. I'm struggling with, is that a, is that a skilled therapy service that I'm doing or is it just glorified tutoring? And I, and I'll, I'll be honest, I've been struggling with that for probably six months now. And is there, their reading topics, the things that they really need the background information on, is that given to them by the classroom reading assignments? I mean, it depends. So like if I am, you know, if I have a reading comprehension student and they are, you know, let's say that's in history class and they are reading about uh, World War Two. Well, you know, the teacher or myself, if, if I do use a in class reading, we have to spend so much time talking about. Oh, no. Perfect example. I was we just did a, a Newsella article on a Holocaust museum. And the students, it, it paired well with what they were learning in World War Two class. So that's why I was like, oh, I'll pick this and we'll, we'll read about it. But they didn't understand why someone would be upset about what happened. And then we spent more time talking about the background of the Holocaust than we were reading or doing reading comprehension. So I don't know. I don't have an answer. That is just kind of the the example, I guess, that I just had happen last week, actually. Well, as, as SLPs, we wear many, many, many hats. It is, the, it is the gift and the curse of our profession is that we do it all. Language, language is, this is how the podcast opens. What is language? What is speech? What is and communication? What is communication? There you go. You don't even know the opening to our own show, Mike. Yeah, oh. totally <laughs> <laughs> I fast forward. This is the, this is the part where I'm talking. To the it's, good part. <laughs> that's right. So, oh. so that's, so there language reading it. Sometimes a lot of what we do feels like tutoring, but too bad. We got to do it again. I'm not saying I don't want to. I just, I have a hard time. That's all. Sounded, all sounded right. like it, man. You were complaining. No, maybe, <laughs> but not really. Like I have 80 kids guys. Like I got to get rid of 90 of them. All right. So 
head over our website, podcast.speechscience.org. Send us an email, speechscience2018 at gmail.com, or give us a phone call, 614-681-1798. I say we send this puppy home with a bow on its head. Michelle Wintering, are you going to get a license this week? I'm waiting. I'm telling you, it's, it's oh, of every course time you are. it's waiting. I'm working. She's like, I don't, I don't want to do reading comprehension. I'll just wait. <laughs> I told you I'm enjoying the um, case study that is my son as a speech pathologist uh, and true. now a parent. Oh, <laughs> baby speech signs growing up. Michael McLeod, tell me something good. What's going on this week? Um, pretty much same old, same old, just, uh, just continuing to, to work with my clients and continuing to build the connections in the, in the community and keeping up to date with all the, uh, reading comprehension research. Uh, so yeah, things are going well. Nice. Uh, for me, I've got to put together a presentation for the Ohio speech and language hearing association. I am, uh, running the school's caucus. So I get to interact with all the school-based SLPs and try to give them knowledge that will help them in their day-to-day. So I'm going to try to be putting that together this week along with, I don't even know how many ETRs I've got left. I Last week's Snow Blizzard-topia 2019 uh, really slowed me down. I don't, I don't have an idea of what's going on anymore. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Feel bad for me, guys. I feel bad for me because I will spend a couple days in Columbus. All right. I like Columbus. <laughs> me too. Well, Michelle, Michael, thanks again for joining us. This is always a pleasure. I love doing this on Tuesday nights. It is a lot of fun. It is. Hopefully we do another 64 episodes. Our intro music tonight was Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under an attribution and share alike license. Our bump music is The Spellbreaker by Tri Tachyon. It's licensed under an attribution license. And our closing music is The Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod. It's licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. I'm excited because what's coming up in the next couple of weeks, we got some big interviews about to hit the show. So uh, and maybe an election special if we can get all of our ducks in a row for that. In the immortal words of Janice Wright, be a willow because the flexible tree will bend in the storm and then come right back up. The oak, like the one in my front yard, will crack and eventually die. So be a willow. (laughs) You'll be flexible. For Michelle Wintering and Michael McLeod, I'm Matt Hot saying peace, love, so long. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye, Matt. (laughs) Dance your way right off. I like it. This has been an Exceptional Podcast Network production. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.